The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from the letter to the Romans. This is in connection with the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. And we'll be reading together from Romans chapter 7, the verses 7 to 12. Romans chapter 7, the verses 7 to 12. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, just, and good. We now read together from Lord's Day 44. which you can find on page 558 of your Book of Praise if you desire to follow along. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all, of our, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. So far, a reading from the Heidelberg Catechism. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, many of you are parents, parents of young families, or maybe you are parents of children who now have their own young families, or perhaps even of uh, you are grandparents of children who have their own young families. When you see the family situation, what kind of obedience do you want your children to give compared to the obedience that they so often want to give you? Let's say you ask your children to do something, to carry out a task for you. 
What kind of response would you like to have from them? Not a grudging obedience, to be sure. Not one that says, all right, and grumbling goes its own way. When you ask your child to do something, you don't want it to be a response of whining and complaining. You love your child, and you know your children love you, and your desire is that your children's response to what you call them to do is reflective of the mutual love that you have for each other. When we come to the Tenth Commandment today, we see God expressing a desire for the same thing. He wants your heart. Many of the other things that he has expressed, if you were to go by the Ten Commandments alone and not by the command to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, many of the things that have been expressed up to this point in time in the Ten Commandments can simply have an outward response, perhaps even a grudging response. Okay, if I have to, I won't do this, or I won't do that. I won't set my heart on these things. But the Tenth Commandment shows that God wants more than just simple outward compliance. God desires your heart. He wants you to think about the service that you show Him. What attitude do you and I have? And He wants your response to be one which reflects the mutual love. The love that He's given and the love that He has for us as well. Well, Look at this under the following theme. Jesus demands your heart too, as we consider the Tenth Commandment. We'll first see what exactly is the Tenth Commandment. Second, do not become enslaved again. And third, a heart ruled by Christ. Now, the question, what exactly is the Tenth Commandment, might seem like a little bit of meaningless trivia. Everyone knows the Tenth Commandment, don't they? Well, there's actually historically been some different points of view on that. Yes, in general, when people approach what we read in Scripture at this point of Scripture, they understand that you're not to covet. Don't set your desire on things that are not your own. But historically, both the Roman Catholic and Lutheran traditions have a different Tenth Commandment than much of the rest of the Christian world. And how you classify this can, though it doesn't have to, it can have an impact on how you view the commandment as a whole. So it's good to take a moment to reflect on the differences that we can find in the world In the first place, the reason that the Roman Catholics and Lutherans have a different division when it comes to the Ten Commandments is that it begins with the first two commandments. They take the first two of the Ten Commandments and they blend these two, squishing them together into one and saying that both, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make for yourself a graven image is one commandment. Now, we won't get into why 
we can look at them separately today, but today we'll deal with the effect that it has on the later commandments. The result of blending the first two commandments means that they have to pick one of the other commandments to divide. After all, we read in Exodus 34, verse 28, and Deuteronomy 10, verse 4, that there are ten commandments, not nine. And so they pick the tenth, and then they divide that into the ninth and tenth commandments. Now, the difficulty that they run into is that there are a few differences between the two explanations of the law that we find. God's direct quote in Exodus 20 and Moses' explanation as he preaches in Deuteronomy 5. God's basic command is, you shall not covet. The differences that we find here in order in the way that this is broken down, seem to imply that the single overarching command, not what it is broken up into, is what is at the heart of what God calls his people to in obedience here. However, if you do divide this 10th commandment, as you find in Lutheran and Catholic circles, those differences in order become more noticeable. Why? Well, if you focus on the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy or on the Ten Commandments in Exodus and you divide that Tenth Commandment in two, you'll get two different versions of your new Ninth Commandment. In the first part of Deuteronomy 5, verse 21, the Tenth Commandment is first expanded on with the words, you shall not covet, covet your neighbor's wife, which is what the Roman Catholic Church has turned into their Ninth Commandments. And in Exodus 20, verse 17a, it's expanded with the words, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. That's the beginning of the Tenth Commandment, which is what the Lutherans turn into their Ninth Commandment. The Roman Catholics focus on the wife, the Lutherans focus on the house, and so you get two different Ninth Commandments. But what does God's Word tell us in the rest of Scripture. Well, in Romans 7, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, I wouldn't have known what coveting was unless the law had said, you shall not covet. The Apostle Paul evidently saw this as just one commandment, not two. And again in Romans 13, verse 9, when giving a list of commandments in no particular order, we read him saying, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever commandment there may be are all summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, he sees you shall not covet as one command on the same level as you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and you shall not steal. So, why does any of this matter? Well, it doesn't have to change your point of view if you split up this commandment, but it can. What's the result of God's focusing on the command, you shall not covet more generally? The result is a shift in focus for us as we come to the Ten Commandments. 
our attention is now drawn not to the different things that are individually found in the commandment, not in find, trying to find the differences between, okay, what does it mean to say you should not covet your neighbor's house as opposed to you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant or anything else. Rather than parsing through all of these details, we are able to see it as a unified whole. We are able to see that it's not just individual things that God is concerned about, but He desires our heart. He desires for us to look at where we have placed our heart and to think about where we have placed our heart with these different things being examples as to, well, this is one place you could have placed your heart, your desires. This is another. This is another. But the main point, the overarching point being, your heart belongs with me. In this way, it makes the Tenth Commandment a bookend to the law. He begins with himself. And he ends with saying, your heart belongs to me. This brings us to our second point. Do not become enslaved again. It is this bookend, these two bookends, that our, that our thoughts are drawn to as we look at the law as a whole in this way. We see the first bookend beginning with the words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. This is the preamble, the introduction, you might say, to the law. And it's this lens that shapes the whole law that follows. This is, again, the first bookend of the law. And it's the statement, you belong to me. The Lord, Yahweh, your covenant God. You see, the law began in the introduction and the first commandment with a command to the inner self. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. To have no other gods before Yahweh, the Lord your God, the covenant name of God who has a relationship with you, marked out by those capital letters of Lord, can be seen publicly when the discussion of the embrace of idols comes up, as we can see also in the second commandment. But it can also be something that no one else can see if it's something that you keep quietly in your heart. Yet there, by introducing himself as Yahweh, as the covenant God, and then by concluding with a direct command and a direct appeal to the heart in saying, you shall not covet, God is showing us what those Ten Commandments are truly all about. It's about his claim as our covenant God. The fact that he has laid claim as our covenant God, not just to our outward behavior, but also to our heart. 
Ultimately, the Tenth Commandment becomes a command that lays claim to your heart, a claim that's laid to your heart by the same Lord who led you out of slavery, the same Lord to whom you already belong. Now, when you covet, your heart starts to wander again, and your eyes start to think back. Toward your, your, your heart starts to think back towards the days of slavery. Your eyes start to wander. What you're, you're saying that what you wanted was not enough. What's the background here? Well, you can think at this time of the Israelites. The Israelites themselves as they received the law. And they're moaning in the desert. They spoke up and they revolted and they rebelled against God, wanting cucumbers and melons from Egypt. They spoke up having this rosy picture of the past, having this rosy picture of the life that they were led out of, not having a realistic picture of what they were freed from, and not having a realistic picture of the freedom that lies ahead. And so they become enslaved again to their own desires. It's this command that the Lord uses to bring such thinking to our attention. This kind of thinking happens to us too sometimes, doesn't it? God in his providence has chosen to give us different levels of things in life. Some of us more, some of us less. He leads us through the desert to a heavenly promised land. And yet, he draws our attention to the fact that we can sometimes catch ourselves forgetting about the fact that he was the Lord our God who brought us out of the land of slavery. That, after all, was more than Ten Commandments ago. And so we can catch ourselves moaning and complaining as we reflect on this commandment. Wanting this guy's marriage and that guy's house and that woman's stability in life. Wanting a better situation than the present time that God has placed us in here in 2021. But again, God in his providence has placed us here. We haven't reached the promised land. Perfection is still coming. But he's bringing us back to the beginning and he's reminding us again that God himself is still with us. That he is the Lord our God who led us out of slavery, slavery to sin. He's freed us from the biggest problem that we have. So that puts a hold on it as we begin to moan and complain and show discontent. Such dissatisfaction looking back to what we had or what we wish we had, even if we never really had it. Like the Israelites, they didn't really enjoy all of the riches of Egypt, all of the melons and cucumbers to their fullness. God desires us to be free from that. 
free from the discontent that comes with a life that is constantly pursuing that, to return our hearts to Him. Exposing our hearts by this 10th commandment leads us to that first step. It leads us to reflect. As He plums down to the depths of our heart again, He leads us to confess, oh, I have a problem, and it's bigger than I thought. It's the reason for question and answer 115 as well, when it speaks about the commands of God being preached so strictly. It says in the first place that throughout our life, the desire is that we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature. And therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. So we can see that he comes to us and he reveals to us our misplaced heart and our misplaced desires. And shows how wrong-headed that truly is. And he shows us where true contentment can be found again by directing us again to the source of our freedom, rather than becoming enslaved again by a constant run of desires, we are more and more made aware of our sinful nature and therefore more eagerly seek that freedom in the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ and contentment in his providence as he's placed us in, on this earth in the places that we now find ourselves. This leads us to our third point. A heart ruled by Christ. So, how can I look within myself? How can I judge within myself if I'm inclined towards not accepting the providence of God and being discontent with where He's placed me in life? Well, we hold our lives up to the law. We hold our lives up to the law and we examine our lives in light of that. Where do our inclinations lead us in all of these different areas? As we go through the law one portion at a time, one commandment at a time, we can begin to see things coming to light. And once all the commandments go by, then the tenth commandment gives us an opportunity for pause again as it plums the depths of our heart. This is why our catechism begins with that unusual response to the question, what does the tenth commandment require of us? After all, all of the other commandments you may have noticed, they immediately dealt with the subject at hand. You shall not steal, and it spoke about theft. You shall not commit adultery, and it spoke about committing adultery. But the fact that the Tenth Commandment leads us to plumb the depths of our heart again and exposes the depths of our heart again is dealt with in this commandment with question and answer 113. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? It doesn't first and foremost say you shall not covet, but rather it summarizes everything that's been said before 
in this. Everything that's been said in the previous Ten Commandments in this, that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. That's a tall order. If you are counting, there are several alls in there. And if you add in the any, that's one more absolute. Not the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments. All our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. When we judge ourselves in this way, we come to the same conclusion as Romans 7. The commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. We recognize as our life is exposed to that level of intensity, when it's exposed to God's gaze in that way, that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to his commandments should ever arise in our hearts. The wholeheartedness with which we should hate not just some sin but all sin and delight in all righteousness. That level of perfect obedience is not found within us. And so we can't have a heart that's ruled by ourselves. We need a heart that is ruled by someone else. That level of perfect obedience is found in only one place, in Christ. Again, we return to question and answer 115. This is laid out before us so that throughout our life we may become more and more aware of our sinful nature. And therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. This brings us once again to why we place the Tenth Commandment where we do find it in our Heidelberg Catechism. Because it cannot be a way by which we can hold up our righteousness before God. But once again it is a place by which we are compelled to find our righteousness in Christ as our need is exposed. It's placed in the third part of the catechism because it must be, obedience to this commandment must be our thankfulness to God because Christ has done it. We need a heart ruled by Christ. We need to be driven to seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ and new life in Christ. The beauty of this is that we can take great joy in the fact that the forgiveness of sins and righteousness is supplied by Christ. We read through Romans 7 as we looked into this commandment. But let's take a moment to slide ahead to Romans 8 the natural conclusion, the natural outcome of this. 
when the Apostle Paul realizes his own sins and he realizes his own weakness, he realizes his own desperate need, he says, I must look to Christ. I thank God, verse 25 of verse 7, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So walking according to the Spirit is a walking by faith. Being made aware of our own sin, as we saw, question and answer 115, give as, as the, the purpose of the law. As we have been made more aware of our own sin and we seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness of Christ, we are able to walk according to the Spirit because He is the one that's placed that desire to seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ in us. And we can rest assured then that there is therefore now no condemnation for the one whose heart is ruled by Christ, for the one who runs to Christ for that forgiveness. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we, having been freed from the chains of sin, and being reminded again to empty ourselves of seeking these other things and of setting our heart on other things. We are warned again to empty ourselves and we are encouraged again to seek, to fill our house with good things. We are taught to empty out the house, to sweep it clean, and to seek to fill it with good things. And so we challenge ourselves in our desires as we read this commandment. The things we've placed our hope and love in, and we seek to fill our lives with good things. With what things? Our catechism says, although in question and answer 114, in this life even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience, nevertheless with earnest purpose they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. Nevertheless with earnest purpose. This is the key. As this is the filling this is what God gives to us as a gift as he has cleansed us and washed us clean. And in this, the law no longer hangs over us like a hammer waiting and ready to come down on us and crush us. But the law is transformed into something new. The law is transformed into a highway by which we can walk. 
is transformed in a highway by which we can walk with earnest purpose, seeking to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. So, loved ones, this commandment gives us the opportunity to re-examine ourselves, to catch ourselves, and to rededicate ourselves in thankfulness to God. It truly is a gift. It's a great comfort that God brings these things to our attention. It shows He understands us and He knows our weaknesses. He knows the temptations that we have to go astray in one direction and another. And He not only forgives us for the sake of Christ, but He also gives us a new direction, a new way to live one full of peace and contentment in Christ. And he calls for us to take hold of it with both hands. So when we come to God, we can rejoice in the fact that we not only are given the opportunity as we are filled by his Spirit to give a grudging obedience that fulfills the outward parts of the law, but we rejoice that he calls us to submit our hearts. And we rejoice that he empowers us by his spirit to be able more and more with earnest purpose to fulfill the commands of God wholeheartedly with joy. Loved ones, seek this. Seek this gift of God eagerly. Rejoice that he forgives you of false desires and that he gives you new ones. And know that he doesn't leave you alone, but he leaves his spirit to guide you in a new path. Give him your whole heart. Amen.